business. I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi, and uh, I got my blackjack gum here, and I got that feeling. Mm. Yeah, that familiar feeling that something rank is going down out there. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you, I make you laugh, I'm here to fucking amuse you. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Tell me, sir, goddammit. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. Come to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. you! As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. You ever seen a grown man naked? I'm so wasted! Anybody move, I'll blow your fucking head off. And the medical doctor says, oh my god. I'm your huckleberry. My advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Put that coffee down. Pauline, this calls for the old Billy Barul. That's a huge bitch! The royal penis is clean, your highness. Hey, where are the white women at? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. It's over, Johnny. It's over! What is going on, everybody? That's right. It is Sunday. I know I usually do these on Saturdays, but um, I even said last night I had a lot going on here at the house. I had things going on. I had another flood. I don't know if I don't remember if I told you all about the last flood we had, but uh, my daughter is turning on the washing machine and there the switch is not going off to shut it off it has been a, a nightmare but uh that was what was going on last night at my house 
and um, it was just uh, there was no way I'm thank God no water got in here under the computers or anything but we had a pretty big flood um, I have a little two and a half gallon uh, uh, shop vac and <laughs> I think I dumped it about nine times it was uh, it was a lot of water we were doing stuff so we didn't notice and then i'm sitting there and i turn around and i put my feet down and i'm like why is there a pool under my feet oh my god awful but um that was what was going on here last night now i am going to move this show to sundays with the kids going back to school it's a better move saturday nights they're up they're happy they're staying up late it's a little crazy for me to try to keep them calm I'll be honest it's crazy for me to try to keep them calm when uh, there's no reason to they should be able to play around on a Saturday night and me uh, me or my wife not be yelling at them to you know quiet down quiet down so Sundays with school coming back they will go to bed right around pretty much at the time this show is going on so if I move it to Sundays uh, it's a better it's better for me. It's better for the kids. It's better for everybody. Then the kids can have Saturday night to just do what they want. So it's got nothing to do with me wanting to drink more or anything like that. This really has to do with just us being a little easier on the kids. Um, because, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's crazy that uh, those that we got to keep telling them, quiet down, quiet down, quiet down. They're just out there having fun, screaming, yelling, and dancing around. So... Let's go ahead and let the kids be kids, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and move this show over to Sundays. Now, I know that's going to coincide a little bit with um, with the high marks. I may not be doing this live much. I'm thinking about not doing it live anymore. I'm thinking about just releasing this show on Sundays. That way I can uh, just kind of take a little time throughout the week and get it done. So I might do that from now on that way i'm not butting up against the high marks or anything so uh you know i don't like making people choose so that might be something that uh might be done i'm actually i'm pretty sure that's what i'm gonna start doing is just recording these bad boys but anyway um there's all that I am obviously talking about The Lost Boys Tonight from 1987. It was actually released 35 years ago, July 30, 30, <laughs> July 31st, 31st, July 31st, 1987. This movie was released, and it was a very influential movie. This was before Twilight and before the cool, these were the fucking cool vampires, these really were. These were the cool vampires. And I'm going to do this one a little different. I'm actually going to try to do this for every movie now. Um, newer movies, I might still do a little bit of uh, follow-through. But it's been 35 years. We've all seen The Lost Boys. If you haven't seen The Lost Boys, you know to go see it. So instead of going through the, all the scenes of the movie, um, I'm going to lay out a bunch of facts about the movie, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, cultural response that it had, all about the, you know, the budget. I'm going to get into some of the other stuff in the movie, go through some facts, play a couple of interviews, um, and that's how I'm going to do this movie. 
I got some clips to play. I'm not lying. I do. I've got a few clips that I'm going to play. I will definitely play those clips as we go through the movie. But um, I don't really feel after 35 years, this is a movie I really need to go through scene by scene. Um, but I've got a lot of facts about the movie uh, that I dug for and looked for and went through a bunch of stuff to find. And um Got, uh, I've only got about 10 clips we're going to play. We're going to play some of them right as we go through the um, as we go through the facts about the movie. But I just don't feel that this is a movie after 35 years that <laughs> we need to go through step by step, scene by scene. So why bother? Let's just not even do it. So we're not going to. Um, I Like I said, I'm probably going to try to do this with every movie. It is a lot more work and a lot more research to do but uh i think it'll make the movies better not going i I think i'm kind of getting into a rut where i'm playing i know i know i am i'm playing too much of the movie and i know i am but i love the movies that i that i watch that we talk about and i just want to watch them with ever like i want to watch them with you guys you know so I, i i get stuck doing that wanting to play every line if I switch it up a little bit and do it this way, we'll see how this goes. I still have uh, a bunch of clips that we're going to play with it. We're going to talk about the soundtrack, of course. I played Cry Little Sister at the beginning of the uh, of the intro there. And uh, that is a song that uh, took on a life of its own. Um, was really the theme song for the movie, but wasn't really the song that had people talking we will definitely definitely get into that but um so yeah this is probably not going to be going live much more but anyway let's go ahead here and i mean like i said we're going to start talking i'm pretty much going to start getting right into the movie um like i said 1987 lost boys uh let's just get right into the actors okay let's start with the casting of this movie. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up a few notes about the casting. Um, now the casting for this movie, Joel Schumacher, uh, was a director for this movie. And he said he had one of the greatest casts in the world. Now you got to remember when I'm naming some of these people, some of these people in this movie, they weren't very famous at the time. It was only 1987. Um, but he said that he had one of the greatest casts in the world. They are what make the film. Um, And they were relatively unknown when it came out with this. Uh, Jason Patrick was uh, the first guy that uh, they chose. Now, they went after Jason Patrick a lot, a lot. Jason Patrick actually refused time and time again to do this movie. Time and time again. Now, you've seen him in Speed 2. You've seen him in Sleepers. You've seen him in The Losers. Uh, hasn't done a... I mean, I hasn't done a shitload, but is still out there doing movies. Um, so we have seen him in other things. Definitely remember uh, Speed 2. I definitely remember him from that movie. And I got to tell you, I didn't realize that was him until I started looking up these actors. But uh, that was him. That was him in that movie, but uh, this was only his third. Actually, he had done a TV movie, something called Solar Babies, after that in 86, and then The Lost Boys. Um, And again, relatively unknown, turned them down time and time again. 
I guess Joel Schumacher finally broke him down somehow, some way. There's really not a lot about that in the in the, in this little in these facts, but um, he was definitely the guy they wanted, the guy they were gonna go with, no matter what they were gonna go with this guy. It was just for some reason he kept turning down the damn movie. <laughs> he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. So they, uh, like I said, they finally got this guy, and um, you know it. it but uh, they were definitely adamant about getting Jason Patrick. So uh, they did get him for the movie, obviously, um, because that's that's who started it. All right, I'm actually typing something real quick. Sorry about that. But all right, here we go. So, yeah, they were definitely all over him to, to, to get him. Uh, he was approached very early, like I said. He just didn't want to... Basically, what it says is he didn't want to do a vampire film. Turned it down many times. He was won over because they were going to give the cast a lot of creative input in making the film. Now, according to Kiefer Sutherland... Um, Jason Patrick was extremely instrumental in kind of adapting the the, the whole script with uh, Joel Schumacher and kind of shaping the film. Schumacher had envisioned the character of Star, which we'll get into in just a minute. We'll actually get into her next. Being kind of a, a blonde, almost like Meg Ryan. But Jason Patrick uh, went with Jamie Gertz. Now, Jamie Gertz... I've talked about her uh, a couple of times in a movie that I've mentioned uh, a few times on this show called Crossroads with Ralph Macchio. Uh, she's been in much more than that, though. She was in Twister, the 1996 one. She was in 16 Candles. Uh, yeah, another one directed by old Schumacher there. She was in 16 Candles in 1984, which is probably why she was in this movie. But... Um, she was also in a TV show from 2002 to 2006, still standing. Uh, last thing she did uh, was in 2022, a little show called I Want You Back. But uh, was adamant to get her. But um, I think it was right after. Crossroads was, uh, was. It was pretty much, actually, it was right before this movie. Uh, it, my gosh, she was in Solar Babies also. Huh, look at that. In 1986, she was in Solar Babies with, obviously, that's where Jason Patrick knew her from. So she did The Lost Boys right after Solar Babies also. So, wow. Didn't, uh, again, uh, crazy doing these. But um, before we get too far past Joel Schumacher and you're like, oh, well, I, I, what's what else is he known for? We talked about him. Me and Anthony discussed Joel Schumacher a little bit when we did the movie Phone Booth. Uh, Batman and Robin, House of Cards. The um, he did two episodes of that. Uh, Bad Company. Uh, if you ever seen that, that was with um, uh, oh the guy who played was with Chris Rock and uh, Jesus Christ, the guy who played Anthony Hopkins. Excuse me, Anthony Hopkins. Eight millimeter, A Time to Kill. Matthew McConaughey, Samuel Jackson. I believe that movie is on Hulu or Netflix, one of those two. But Batman Forever, Falling Down, Flatliners. 1990, Kiefer Sutherland once again starring in that movie, Flatliners. Excellent, excellent movie. Also was the director for Santa Mo's Fire. And, uh, and also DC Cab, which now is on Hulu. I actually saved it last night. Um, so there you go right there. 
But uh, Joel Schumacher, excellent director, known for tons and tons of mo- of movies. Um, but uh, obviously, in June two thousand twenty, we lost Joel Schumacher. But uh, great career, and uh, was a great, great, great film director, producer, screenwriter, and even fashion designer. So there you go with that. Um, now I guess I guess we can get into a few more of the actors. Let's get into. Uh, let's do this. Let's get into the two Corys a little bit. Because, yeah, that's right, the two Corys. Uh, this film actually did make the two Corys in this movie. Um, they were sort of known before this, but uh, this movie was the first movie, was kind of the birth of the two Corys, which is Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Obviously, we lost uh, Corey Haim to drugs um a lot, a few a few years ago, and uh, obviously horrible. But um, this was the start of the Corys. Uh, they played the Frog Brothers, uh, Edgar and Allen. I think you can figure out Edgar Allen, Edgar Allen Poe, Edgar Frog, Allen Frog. Edgar, it, it was definitely a tie-in to the American uh, author Edgar Allan Poe. The name. Um, but this was sort of the birth of the two Corys. Uh, actually, this was. This was kind of where all this stuff came from. And I don't think... It's very hard to tell people how big the whole Corey thing was. But they were absolutely huge stars, the two Corys, for very much of the 80s into the 90s. Um, but... Um, I've got a few videos here of, I've got one of uh, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Jason Patrick is also with them. Uh, they're all just talking a little bit about the movie. And I am going to go ahead and play that for you right now. Oh, wait a minute. For some reason, I have no volume because lately I've been having to go into the audio and switch it to speakers and then... We have to restart it. Give me one second, folks. I'll get this working, hopefully, right now. Okay, let's see. Put some volume on that. Yeah, I can't hear it. This is very strange. (laughs) Hold on. Make sure my volume's working here. All right. This is working. This is working. That's working. That's working. That's working. So, why no volume? Audio device. There we go. Let's do this. Let's try this in a chair here we go we got it now all right so we got it playing now i figured it out i apologize to everybody and uh let's go ahead and get this little interview planned it's only 50 seconds everybody was like oh you know he's so cute he's such a little nerdy kind of guy you know and silver bullet i was in a chair you know in the time to live i was also i had muscular dystrophy you know i portrayed a kid who was dying his mom was freaking out you know so this is um pretty much my first chance to people just say hey you know he's a dude (laughs) You know, gnarly. Wait, there's Corey Haim. Corey Haim, come here for a second. He's in the movie with me. This is Corey Haim. He was in Lost Boys. And he was in the movie (laughs) License to Drive, which is coming out in August. And we're doing that movie together, too. Yep. 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 Anyway, so me and Jason change bodies. And this is my best friend. His name is Dinger in the movie. (laughs) And um, 
I've got long black hair in the movie. They're going to put extensions on, so it's like two inches longer. <laughs> thank you. This is my hairstyle. It's, it's beautiful. Ah, thank you. All right. So you can see they were really good friends, these guys. They had a great time together. And, uh, I, I mean, these Listen, I'm going to... I found this gem when I was digging up some stuff. I found a Corey hotline. That's right. From the 1990, like late 80s, the Corey hotline. I found a commercial and I will not deprive you. I will play it and I'm doing it now. Guess what? Corey Haim and Corey Feldman are giving out their personal numbers. If you call 1-900-909-3700, you can listen to their private phone messages and get their personal number where you can leave them a message of your own. $2 the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Ask your parents before you call. 1-900-909-3700. If you call me right now, I'll give you my private number. Um, you call that number and you'll hear a recording and I'll give you my personal number if you call that. Um, and we'll wrap. There you go. So, um, <laughs> and we'll wrap. Uh, now, let's get into the Corys a little bit. Let's get in. Let's uh, let's talk about. Let's you know. Let's 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 start off with Corey Haim. Uh, Corey Haim had a crazy little career. Like he just uh, like uh, the Corey Feldman said, they starred in License to Drive together. Also, um. But uh, we lost him in 2010, by the way. We lost Corey Haim in 2010. I really didn't think it had been that long. Wow. I really did not think that it had been that long since we had lost him. But wow, that's that's crazy. He mentioned Silver Bullet. Love that movie. Actually, that if you go back to the horror show, this is that was my favorite horror movie. Um, had a decent career. Did about 48 things. Obviously, when he was younger, his career was really taking off. The two Corys thing really took off for him. Um, but for some reason, just didn't really catch on very much. But he they did Double Switch, uh, which was another one. Um, he did a lot of little short videos also. Um but he was also a biker gang member in Batman and Robin, uncredited. But if you look, you can see him. Um, he is in that movie. You just got to find him. And there's a few other things he's uncredited for that he did. Uh, but uh, he was definitely didn't have the same career that Corey Feldman ended up having. Now, Corey Feldman is a little out there. I know he's a little out there. We all know he's a little out there. Uh, he's done this. He's done Friday the 13th. Matter of fact, there's a Goonies 2 announced uh, that he's going to be in. Um, but uh, he he definitely did it. I mean, he's had a definite crazy career, Corey Feldman. He has been doing movies since 1978, basically. Um I mean, he was a television actor. Like I said, he's a little out there. He's exposed Hollywood for being pedophiles time and time again, and it just never gets out there. But he's done it time and time again. Was a huge, huge Michael Jackson fan. Uh, they spent a lot of time together. I'm not going to get into all that. Um, really, I'm not. But uh, he was in some of the best movies ever. Stand By Me. He was even in Gremlins. Stand by me, um, the Burbs, 
if you're great movie right there, The Burbs. Um, just and it just kept going and going, and he just kept doing movies into the '90s. He was in Maverick with uh, that was a 1994 movie with uh, uh, oh my god, uh, uh, Mel Gibson. Really good movie, Dream a Little Dream, Dream a Little Dream Two. And he just kept doing movie and movie after movie after movie after movie. But he was even in the uh, sequel to The Lost Boys, which we'll get into the sequel to The Lost Boys a little bit later. I'm not going to get into that right now. But he definitely still has some things going on right now, Corey Feldman. But 137 credits to his name with, I would say, the 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 three top movies. If you ask someone, you're going to hear Goonies, Lost Boys, and Stand By Me. That's really the three you're probably going to hear from somebody. Um, you might get a Friday the 13th, but you, you're probably not going to get that. You're probably going to get one of the first three I just mentioned, but uh, definitely um, one of the, 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 out of the two Corys, his career was definitely the, the, the bigger one of the, of the Corys. Now, also had uh, Diane Weist in these movies. If you've uh, ever seen Footloose, she was the mother in Footloose also. Uh, she's done a few things. Edward Scissorhands, she was also in that movie. Hannah and Her Sisters, uh, still doing movies today. Has something called uh, Apartment 7A. She actually just did a voice for My Father's Dragon. Should be coming out very soon. Um she is in this, and also we've got uh, Bernard Hughes is the grandfather, and he is hilarious in this movie. The old kooky, crazy grandfather who's lived in Santa Clara forever and just uh, knows all about the vampires but didn't tell anyone, so we'll get into all that. Don't worry about that. We also had Edward Her Edward Herman as the, basically he ends up being the head vampire he plays Max, and we'll talk about that. He was in Annie. Really, lots of movies for this guy, too. He's actually um, a voice on American Dad. He was, wasn't was a voice on American Dad for four years and uh, did a lot of stuff on that. So that was uh, Edward Herrmann. And uh, Kiefer Sutherland, like we've talked about a few times, uh, Kiefer Sutherland was in this movie also. And uh, he plays David, not the head vampire, but definitely, got my daughter in here, definitely one of the uh, higher up vampires in here. Hi, Lene. Here? Yeah, I'm talking. I'm talking? Yeah. So, anyway, uh, one of the higher up vampires is Keith or Sutherland, uh, daughter to, or uh, son to Donald Sutherland, who just awesome actor in his own. But we just mentioned Phone Booth, another movie that uh, he was in. Uh, he was a voice mostly in that movie. Mirrors, 24 Flatliners we already talked about. He has stuff still coming out right now. but um, And he even played himself in Zoolander 2, which I haven't seen Zoolander 2. But uh, he's definitely done so much, so much stuff. And like I said, we've talked about him before, so not a ton of reasons to get into that. But we also have... Alex Winter. That's right. Alex Winter is in this movie. If you're going, hmm, Alex Winter, who is that? Yeah, that's the guy from Bill and Ted. Yep, not Keanu. Uh, he's in the new ones. That's I'm not going to say it's the only thing he's done. He doesn't have a huge career, but uh, he definitely does uh, not have a giant 
career, but uh, he was in the TV show Level Up for a little while uh, back in 2012. Um, but he is in the new the new um, Bill and Ted Face the Music that just came out, obviously from 2020. So, but he's also done some directing. I don't know if anyone knows that, but definitely is, he's done more directing over the past. Oof, I mean, basically since the 80s, he's been even directing um, up until now. So. 80s are really, um, and his acting credits, though, uh, like I said, he's been a voice on Robot Chicken, um, been in a few TV movies, lots of voice work. You'd know him, but you don't know him. You know, he's one of those voices that you just don't really know very much, but uh, he is he is 100% one of the good actors on this. Not in here for a long time. Um doesn't have a lot of lines in this movie, really. Just doesn't. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do, right? And I'm just looking through something real quick here. All right. I thought there was someone else that I needed to talk about. We don't really. Uh, there is one a little kid in this movie, Chance Michael Corbett, who plays Laddie. Um, the other actors in this movie are basically just, I mean, it's not a giant cast for this movie pretty much you've got uh michael played by jason patrick who is the basically you're looking at a bunch of vampire recruiters uh they are literally that's what they do they're teenage vampires who are have been missing forever and there's even a sign and they're going after him they're trying to recruit jason we have uh Jamie Gertz as star, trying to keep him away from them, but, you know, can't quite do it. But, um, so, there we go with all that. But, I mean, just, it, it's hard to even tell you, though, how huge the Corys were back then at, you know, just some of the actors in this movie just were larger than life. And those were, uh, those were two of them right there that uh, definitely had a, a hell of a career when it came out so all right let's go ahead and get a little more into some of the stuff in the movie which is going to bring me to right here and uh we can go ahead and get into some of this stuff about lost boys now now um so like i said that that was pretty much the casting it really was a good cast for this movie but just remember one thing that they were not very known at this point so he was really putting a lot of uh, his eggs in this basket of uh, of these kids be doing this. Now, budget for this movie was eight and a half million. The box office for it was thirty two point two. And you got to remember, this was nineteen eighty seven. That is a large, large opening for nineteen eighty seven, and even more, and even more. Um, so 1987 though, that was a very good opening. Now the kind of the theme or the name of the movie is a little bit in reference to the characters of Peter Pan stories, uh, never grow, grow old. According to the day, the central theme of the lost boys is kind of never grow old. Actually, there was a, uh, I put up a picture yesterday that had a, uh, a line from the movie in it. Uh, sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. Eh, that does sound kind of Peter Panish, you know? 
I don't want to grow up, you know, that kind of thing, never grow up. So I definitely see where that is coming from. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, th- that's basically where the whole, uh, name kind of came from is just, they were kind of just envisioned it like that. Now they did also see this being for speaking of for younger, they actually envisioned these characters being much younger, much younger. They were actually going to do like eight year olds and like they were going to be cub scouts and. Uh, Star, the female character in this movie, was actually going to be a boy. It was going to be a crazy little thing. Um, but Schumacher, when they actually got this film, now they only paid 400000 for this this script to this movie on February 20th, 1986. Um, so that's not bad. Now, they in 85 is when they announced that this film was going to be made and then it got picked up. So they were going to do very young, 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 like max 14-year-old vampires, but decided to go with the teenagers. Um, not late in the game, but pretty pretty good distance into the game. They decided to do it. Now, most of the film was shot in Santa Cruz, California. Remember, they were in this town called Santa Clara, uh, in here, which really didn't exist. It was all in Santa Cruz instead of Santa Clara. But it was all in California, and um, it was all shot right there, most of it. Um, so there was all that. Uh, now, once again, this movie came out at number two. came out at number two on its opening weekend. Uh, domestically, this movie grossed over $5.2 million its first weekend. Which, once again, if you just think about the time, and, I mean, there was no streaming. You had to get off your ass. You had to drive to the movie theater. You had to go see the movie. Movies were different back then. So, it was definitely a a completely different time. Um, Now, the movie got a great response. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, Roger Ebert gave the film two and a half out of four stars. Said the great the, the the cinematography was great. The cast, once again, Joe Schumacher put a lot of his, I mean, eggs in the basket, if you will, into this cast. And man, if you've ever seen this movie, good God, do they deliver? They deliver in this movie. Um, definitely, though, uh, for a vampire movie to be liked by critics around was pretty good at the time because horror movies were just sort of horror movies are just got different genre where critics just don't usually like them and but this was definitely um a really fucking good movie but variety wasn't crazy about it they called it a horrifically dreadful vampire teen exploitation entry that daringly advances the theory that all those missing children pictured on garbage bags and milk cartons are actually victims of blood-sucking bikers. Wow. <laughs> I think that's a little uh, a little overboard. <laughs> I don't know if you agree with me there, but I think that's a little overboard. Um all right, that's variety for you. Now, let's get into the. Uh, let's get a little bit right now into the um, 
soundtrack a little bit. Now, one, in the beginning of the movie, or the beginning of the show, I played Cry Little Sister. I said that was 100% the theme song, but it wasn't really what people, what the song people talked about in the movie. Now, Cry Little Sister was a great song. Uh, it was a hit on its own. Um, and really, basically, he just kind of, now, everyone was kind of like, how'd you get bands to get on the soundtrack? And he's like, well, I asked him. That's basically how it was. Now, he also directed some songs for In Excess. Uh, he directed The Devil Inside. Uh, but that was the year after. So he did know In Excess, which The Devil Inside was used uh, in this movie. Um, but Cry Little Sister was supposed to be the song that was like the main song for the movie, but it didn't turn out that way. A gentleman in the movie called Tim uh, Capello actually ended up being one of the, if not the, major, major songs in this movie with a little song called I Still Believe. Uh, this guy, though, you know, you you can make fun of him. It was a cra- it was kind of an unnecessary part. This film definitely was always said to have uh, homoerotic overtones, which we'll uh, get into in a little while. We have more to talk about with that. Um, but this whole Tim Capello thing, he was up there. He was ripped. He is a he's a a trained composer, multi-instrumentalist. He can pretty much play every instrument out there, not just the saxophone. Um, but uh, he's out there. He's ripped. Uh, they said he was just out there basically doing, like literally just doing push-ups between scenes, just keep as, keep as jacked as he could. Um, now, he was offered the role in this movie after... Um, I guess Schumacher wanted him for some sort of role in Beverly Hills Cop 2, and he never never did. So that was just how it kind of came up. But this part for him has become part of his life. If you, a lot of these little uh, conventions, he's there, and he's there as, you know, the, the kind of sexy sax man or uh, whatever. That kind of what he goes as is sexy sax man. So, of course, I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to play a little bit of that bad boy. Uh, give me one second here. Let me find it. I've got it right here. And I think we're rolling with it.
All right, so you get the sax in the back and everything. And uh, like I said, he's just basically has taken this role and made a career of it. But um, he's at a lot of the conventions, still ripped, still can play all the instruments, obviously. And uh, not only that, but I got a little interview where he talks about it. It's not that long of an interview, but um, let me see how long is it actually. uh, Let's see. It's about 3 minutes and 22 seconds. Um, I'll play that, and I also have a Kiefer Sutherland interview that I meant to play when I was talking about him. Before we get too far, we'll play that. Let's uh, could actually use a quick little breathing, take a drink break. So I'm going to go ahead and play this little thing. He was kind of talking about his... uh, Feature in the in, in the Lost Boys in this interview. So here we go. You know, our episodes, they fly by because they're super fun, right? Well, that means we don't get to include all of the good stuff we get out of our guests. Here's a little bit from the cutting room floor. The Lost Boys, iconic 80s soundtrack. I'm on this soundtrack. It's so much a huge part of my life. I don't know if I can be objective about it, but I still know. Every once in a while I put it on, I still love it. I was on tour with Tina. Joel Schumacher, who directed the movie, was a fan of some of Tina Turner's videos that had me featured in them. He really wanted this song, I still believe, on the soundtrack, but the band was a Christian band and I think didn't want to have anything to do with a vampire movie. Luckiest thing that ever happened to me. He said, do you want to do it? I said, fine. I went in, five-second meeting. You feel like playing on a movie I'm doing? Sure. Bye. Went and did it. Had the record, knew every word, knew the entire song backwards and forwards, didn't need a lyric sheet, did it in one take. I was in and out in an hour because I loved the song. The song is sort of half a song and half a prayer. There were a lot of very big stars on this soundtrack, but their songs didn't make as much of a splash as some of us who were not stars. I think we really listened to Joel Schumacher. He was a musical genius. This is a man that knew music. He knew exactly what he wanted. And you can listen. There's songs coming in from Australia. There's songs coming in from England. There's songs from all over the United States. And that soundtrack from beginning to end has a sound to it, that dark kind of sound. Who would have ever thought that saxophones and vampires would have gone together? And now it's 34 years later, and absolutely, they go together like peanut butter and jelly, baby. What can I say? I'm a sucker for a great vampire movie, and so far, I haven't seen a better one than The Lost Boys. They keep trying, and I know they're gonna keep trying. I'm not sure they're ever gonna hit it. You gotta tune in. Sundays. Well, I can't say I disagree with him there. This is probably one of the best vampire movies out there, Um, and we'll get into more of that. Okay, so he was a sax sax player for Tina Turner. She had him on some of the videos. 
And uh, that's cool that, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I was in and out in five minutes for my meeting. And then I was in and out of that scene in an hour. We did it in one fucking take. One take. But uh, he's right. There were a lot of bigger bands on that soundtrack. Uh, You had Cry Little Sister uh, by Gerald McMahon. You had Lou Graham, Lost in the Shadows. You had... um, People Are Strange, which was covered by Echo and the Bunny Men. Um, that's the the Jim Morrison song, which there was a picture of a, there was a Jim Morrison poster. Uh, there was a lot of little posters we'll get into in this movie. Um, in Excess, Laying Down the Law. Uh, Roger Daltrey, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. We had, uh, you had Eddie and the Tide, Power Play. Uh, Beauty Has Her Way by Mummy Calls. Uh, another one, Good Times, In Excess and Jimmy Barnes, and The Shock of Miss Louise, or To the Shock of Miss Louise by Thomas Newman. So there were bigger acts, definitely, but <coughs> he's right. That song, excuse me, guys, <coughs> that song right there made his, I mean, uh, it really basically made his career <laughs> for Tim Capello that uh, I still believe. And that was an interesting fact about uh, that. If, if you listen to that song, he's right. It does sound like a Christian song. And I could see the band not wanting anything to do with a vampire movie. Um, but cool little thing right there. That was a cool little... Uh, I, I Listen, I said I was... I, I didn't listen to that interview before I played it. But <laughs> great little interview with him. He's, he really seems like a cool guy. I actually wouldn't mind going to one of those conventions and meeting him. He seems like a really down-to-earth, really cool, just cool guy. So, all right. Uh, we'll keep going a little bit uh, with this little movie here. I'm just trying to make it a little easier for me to do something here. Because, like I said, we do have a few clips to play as we're going through. Um, and we will most definitely get to that in just a little while now. As I said, this was more of a... Movie that, yeah, uh, kind of a recruit, uh, a recruiting movie. It became kind of a teen recruiting movie, but um, just an unbelievable uh, soundtrack, though, for this movie. And uh, just thought, uh, you know, we had to get into it because that is one of the biggest things about this movie was the soundtrack and that scene with Tim Capello. So we've got that. Now let's go ahead into a little more of this now once again this was supposed to be a little more of a kid friendly version of this movie thank god thank god lethal weapon came along because otherwise otherwise richard donner might have actually directed this movie we might have had a completely different movie than what we had because he got chose to do a direct lethal weapon, which we obviously know made uh, did great. Um, Mel Gibson again, he got picked to do the lethal weapon movies, which meant Schumacher Shoemaker was able to come in and take this movie over. So thank the Lord for that because uh, huh, this definitely, definitely could have been a different movie. Um, and actually, people were saying to him that this script was like a Goonies vampire movie. It's like you take you basically have the Goonies go vampire is what this was. That's what people were telling him. Um, so actually, so Schumacher just ripped up that and said, all right, that's enough. No more of that. So they got that out of there. 
Um, now, we had been talking about Corey Feldman a little bit and his character. Now, if you see the two, the, 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 the brothers in this movie, they're kind of badasses. Now, if you go back to the 80s and you see, um, you know, you, you got Stallone, you got Chuck Norris, you got, you got Arnold, a lot of those. That's what he, uh, Schumacher basically told Corey Feldman, go watch all those movies. Be like Rambo. Be like Rambo. Be like Stallone. Be like Chuck Norris. He's like, that's what I want you to be, a teenage version of that. So that's what happened. That's why he is kind of like, you know, throwing out those little one-liners and doing all that. Um, that's exactly why that's all there, because <laughs> that's what he was trying to be. He was trying to do those, to do that and do those one-liners. And... Um, Basically, he was. Uh, that's what he was going and, and trying to be. He uh, Schumacher said to him, "That is your character. I want you to meld all those guys together and make something out of it." So that's exactly what he did. Now you, they're obviously vampire hunters in this movie. If you really watch, it doesn't look like they've ever killed a vampire after they got their first one. Um, but these two brothers end up uh, being their vampire hunters, and that's yeah, that's that's the whole thing. Um, right there. So it was pretty cool though. Uh, that, uh, now one other little thing that I'm not sure if, uh, anyone ever knew. I actually never knew this. Corey Feldman was actually fired during the shooting of this movie in the middle of the movie. Uh, he, he got to the set and was high on cocaine. He apologized the next day. Joel took him back. And he did come back and finish this movie. But again, this could have been a different movie uh, had that be. Now, Corey Feldman was not that old when this movie was going on. Just want everyone to remember that. If you watch this movie, he was not that old. Now, we're going to go a little bit now into the... Remember I said there was kind of a little homoerotic little stuff going on with this movie that people were always talking about. And maybe there was. But um, it, it, Sam, played by Corey, uh, Corey Haim in this movie, did have a weird poster that everybody always asked about. And it was this poster of Rob Lowe. Basically shirtless in his, like, well, like almost in his underwear, shirtless, gleaming, hanging on Sam's wall. Um... And literally, it says fans often point to this when discussing the film's homoerotic undertones. Now, the the the, the connection between Rob Lowe and Joel Schumacher is uh, Joel Schumacher wrote and directed Saint Elmo's Fire the year two years before this movie, in which Lowe played a saxophonist. Okay, so there you go, right there. There's your tie-in with Rob Lowe. This that was a movie that he had directed two years ago. Now the Sixteen Candles poster that is in another room. We just talked about a little while ago. That movie had Jamie Gertz in it, who plays Star in this movie. She played Robin in that movie. So he left some small little little references to his Saint Elmo's Fire film in there, and um, that was just what he did. And there was another one. There was another 
Uh, now, all the posters in this movie had meaning. The Doors poster was in the vampire lair. Uh, the Doors released the original People Are Strange, again, that was covered by Echo and the uh, and the Bunny Man. So they did have some cool little posters. And, and you know, even to this day, they still mean something and they still have sort of a, a tie-in to everything that he was doing now. Um, now, we had talked about the just re, just a minute ago, we talked about uh, some other characters that, you know, supposed to be a younger cast, blah, blah, blah. One person talked for being in this movie was Ben Stiller. That's right. Ben Stiller was almost a lost boy. Joel Schumacher did confirm this. Ben Stiller said uh, he was one of those faces. People reported that uh, that he was going to be one at the time. Now, he said uh, the last time I saw that, you know, he he made a joke of it. Um, and it kind of, uh, he said, the last time I saw a room full of so many talented faces when I was, it was when I auditioned for the Lost Boys. It was between me, Kiefer, and the two Corys. Now, no one knew if he was joking, but he's the same age. So it could be that that was one thing. And uh, I mean, his dad was a famous actor, so he definitely could have taken that casting call. Uh, absolutely could have taken that casting call. So now I know I said I was going to play the Kiefer thing, but I've got something to mention about him. So I've got a couple of things that uh, we can get into with the whole Kiefer Sutherland, Sutherland thing anyway. Now, this movie, uh, I had said, was very inspirational to a lot of other movies. Like I said before, Twilight, before this, before that. I didn't mention one thing. The fans of, uh, not even the fans, but Everyone said that Buffy the Vampire Slayer never would have been around had it not been for this movie right here, for the Lost Boys. Uh, it said uh, basically they said uh, the idea of making them looking like monsters and then looking like people that was in the Lost Boys and that was useful for us. The uh, I, the creator Whedon told uh, Salon Magazine he said you. You could have uh, you could have somebody fool you or someone like Angel seems like he's not a vampire and then he is one. Um, so basically that's what he said. He took all that overall look because Buffy the character or Buffy's character was in her character Spike, the, the Buffy character Spike was inspired by the film. There's a little Billy Idol, a little Kiefer uh There's a a little Billy Idol, a little Kiefer Sutherland in Lost Boys. Now, we're going to definitely tie that back in because of the whole uh, Billy Idol thing. Um, Actually, we'll do that right now. Now, basically, the look that you see with Kiefer Sutherland in this movie does kind of look familiar, and it is based off of Billy Idol. Sutherland went in on his first day on set and he told the makeup team to make me look like Billy Idol because he thought Billy Idol was really cool at the time, and he was. Um, but uh, that was it. He said Schumacher, him and, and Schumacher laughed about it for a lot, a lot of a lot of time. But turns out the look and everything made for great, great, great look uh, look on t- for a vampire, and uh, they went with it. And uh, there you go. But uh, because he said, he said David originally had long hair, and he said he looked like a wrestler, and he didn't like that. He didn't like looking like a wrestler. 
So he did have the blonde hair, but it came out looking like a uh, looking like more like Billy Idol, a little spiky, and all that stuff. So, uh, all right. So we've got all that done right there. Let me get rid of that. Kind of getting through some stuff here, going through, going through. Now, if you follow this movie, Kiefer Sutherland does have a very small amount of dialogue. Yet, out of all of the vampires, Kiefer Sutherland actually has the most dialogue of all the vampires. Um, And it's sort of that way for a reason. It's sort of that way for a reason. Um, Basically, they were looking to have him say the fewest lines because uh, they wanted to keep them calm and cool. And Schumacher just said basically he thought the guy was a born character actor and the least amount of dialogue was great for him because he thought he had an extraordinary presence on, on film. So... You know, he may have had the least amount, but he had the most, the most amount of all of the vampires. Um, so there was that. Now, once again, he uh, he also he also broke his wrist while trying to impress a girl on set. Uh, they were doing those motorcycle riding things in the movie they were doing a little motorcycle thing when they were on their way down to that bridge if you remember right when they were taking uh michael back to the lair and they were doing this and they're sitting down there and uh he was they all did their own stunts back then and he was doing the motorcycle scene and tried to impress a girl and ended up breaking his wrist along the uh the the boardwalk so uh, he basically told the whole the whole story. He said it was actually in 2019, right here in Dallas. He's uh, at the Fan Expo. He said he shared the story and explained that trying to perform a wheelie in an attempt to show off, but doing so failed, as he crashed, hit an obstacle, thrown off the bike, broke his right wrist in three places, and then they had to get a special cast so he could still ride the motorcycle and uh, do what he had to do. On the motorcycle, so guys, stop trying to impress chicks. They don't care. <laughs> you know it. I know it. We all know it. Um, now, there was a scene in this movie when they're down there, and Kiefer Sutherland is trying to uh, bring David in, or I'm sorry, bring Michael into this. Uh, David is trying to bring Michael into this, and. You see Michael, he's got a box of Chinese food in his hand and it looks like some, you know, I think it's a lo mein or chow mein, whichever it is. And he looks down at it and then at another point he looks down at it and it's maggots. And he freaks out, he drops it. Pretty cool, we're going to play it, don't worry. Well, it looks like maggots don't move around a lot. Um they really don't move without some sort of motivation. So they said the bug guy kept having to squeeze lemon juice. They had a resident bug guy. That's what's right. A resident pro. And he kept having to squeeze lemon juice on them to get them to move. Um, and we do eventually see them move on camera. And uh, that's going to be the first scene I'm going to go ahead and play right now. Time. Come and get it, boys. All right. Chinese, good choice. Over here, bud. Yes, first. 
You don't like rice? Tell me, Michael, how could a billion Chinese people be wrong? <laughs> Come on. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots, how do they taste? <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> Sorry about that. No hard feelings, huh? Why don't you try some noodles? <laughs> they're worms. I mean, they're worms. Tony! They're only noodles, Michael. All right, so this scene's going to serve two parts. Um, so we just saw the, heard the, the maggots and the worm scene even. We kind of added to that scene. Now, there's also a scene right here where they have blood. Um, now, he doesn't know it's blood. He thinks it's wine. It's in this kind of wine goblet old bottle looking thing um so that's what they're doing right here i just want everyone to sort of know what's going on now if you really take a look at the blood it's really shiny like why would it blood you know it's glitter and some have pointed and said that they're wondering if that's kind of where the twilight movie got the whole glowing glittery vampires from but anyway that's just it, it was just one of those little kind of fans always ask so here we go let's finish this clip drink some of this michael be one of us So there you go. I think after just being shown that maggots weren't maggots and worms weren't worms, he doesn't believe it's blood, obviously. We know it is, but he doesn't believe it is. So um, pretty cool. Just a great movie, though. One of the great clip in the movie, though, that right there is one of the greatest great scenes in the movie. And, you know, we he doesn't really know. He doesn't know what he just got himself into. But uh, this is another scene where they're. Um, there's another uh, another scene where, like you you know, you would think that after that scene, you're like, wow, Kiefer Sutherland has a bunch of lines in the movie. Not really, not really. He really doesn't. But um, that was pretty cool though. So I thought I would definitely uh, give that a little play for you guys. And I've got more. Now there was some sequels planned for this movie. Um, with it being such a big movie, they tried throughout the 90s to do this. They were trying to get the Lost Girls off the ground. Scripts had gone through Hollywood for years, and basically they were told, don't ever, don't hold your breath for this. It's probably not ever going to happen. What we got instead 
was the Lost Boys, uh, the Tribe in the 2010s, and the Lost Boys, uh, or I'm sorry, in the 2000 in 2008, right around there. And then we got um, the Lost Boys, the Thirst, both direct to DVD. Corey Feldman definitely was in both of these. Uh, Corey Haim was in one of them, the, the 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 second one, just for a minute or two. But neither of the sequels were were worth a damn. Um, so th- they definitely flopped. One hundred percent, definitely flopped in this movie. Now, um, now there were some cool shots in this movie. If you watch the beginning of the movie, there's a uh, a hood ripped right off of a car and things like that. Now, a lot of people were like, "Man, where where'd you get some of those?" Now, a lot of they were very hard to do, and they were. Now, if you look, at, this is something that not a lot of people really know. With '80s classic '80s horror movies, had a lot of budget cuts in the '80s. What they did is um, <laughs> some of the scenes they cut their budget by two million dollars by using unused B-roll footage from Top Gun that was used when all the the POVs, like all the point of view stuff from when the vampires were flying through the clouds, that's exactly what that was from. That was footage from Top Gun that was never used that they decided to go ahead and throw in there and use. So pretty cool that 80s horror movies kind of always did that. They just sort of threw in unused stuff from other movies. But um, there were some, like I said, that was one of the cooler little things that I found out in this movie. But uh, the, uh, the other shots, though, were really uh, still expensive to do. They had a lot of flying around, and they were jumping off of this. And um, it just says that a lot of the... You could tell they were low budget because a lot of the times they would cut to another scene right as something was, you know, happening. Um, And, you know, basically what he was doing is when the vampires were kind of flying around, it didn't show them flying. He was just showing like almost like they were in a plane. And he said, you kind of let your audience use the imagination to fill in what's left around there. But um that's kind of how they got some of those really cool flying scenes. And like I said, right in the beginning of the movie, you, you see a roof get ripped up of a car, and that's kind of what happens. But um, it was pretty cool, though. But um, now, in this movie, we've talked about Star a few times. She's the only one that we never get to see in this movie in her vampire form. Um now that is her son, though plays Laddie in this movie, but we ne- actually he's a missing kid. We don't know if it's her son. We just know she's taking care of him. But um, she's the only one we never see as a vampire throughout this whole movie. It's just for some reason never see it there after her, but they never really do anything. Now I had said there was a a, a bridge scene. It was kind of right after the scene we just played. They went after he drank the blood. They took the motorcycles. They are hanging off of a bridge. Uh, And there was a train going over them. And they started falling one by one. That was the Iron Horse Trailhead Trestle Bridge. uh, It's in 
little little north of uh, L.A. off of Interstate 5. So uh, pedestrians now can walk up and down that bridge and experience that for themselves. Obviously, they can't jump down it. Uh, it wouldn't be a good idea. So they can still do that. Now, <clears throat> um, as we're going through the movie, right when we meet the Frog Brothers, there's um, they, they start telling... Uh, they start telling Corey Haim to watch out for vampires and they break out this comic book as a guidebook called uh, Vampires Everywhere. Now, there is... Now, this was just created for this movie. Now, that is signed. There is a signed copy of it. It is kept by the owner of Atlantis Fantasy World in Santa Cruz... And now the original was now the most of the original set was ruined where the film was uh, uh, shot was ruined in the 1989 um, earthquake, the Loma Prieta earthquake, they called it. And a lot of this, the, the stuff doesn't exist, but this was saved and it is in a new location. So there is a signed copy of that book still out there. Now, we had talked a little bit about Alex Winter. Um Again, not not only known for this movie, but also known for Bill and Ted's excellent adventure with Keanu. Uh, He wasn't really sure what he got himself into. Um, I should have mentioned this during the Tim Capello stuff. So he basically came in, was doing a little thing in 2021 with Cinema Blend. And he's like, I walk in. He said, I wish I had a camera while we were shooting The Lost Boys. He said that entire shoot was absolutely insane and wild and fun and very specific to its era. He said, my first day on the set, I got to Santa Cruz the day they were shooting the beach party scene. There's Tim Capello, the sax guy, all oiled up, right? Bonfires and all of his insanity. And I was like, what the hell is this movie I just signed on to do? What is this thing? So he was not very happy to do <laughs> and until obviously he saw the final script and was like wow what a great fucking movie and uh it it really ended up being a great movie so um so there you go i've got three more little things but i'm gonna play a few of the clips um and we'll sort of like i said i'm not gonna go through absolutely not doing scene by scene especially not as far as into this as we are but um we'll play a few things now I had talked about that little frog, the Ed, Ed, Edgar and Allen frog scene, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to start by playing that. This is right here when the frog brothers uh, introduce, kind of meet Corey Haim, and I just discussed this little just, uh, vampire killing magazine, so uh, this is a perfect clip for that. Notice anything unusual? About Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Are you guys sniffing old newsprint or something? You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Well, I'll tell you something. You don't know shit, buddy. Yeah. You think we just work in a comic book store for our folks, huh? Actually, I thought it was a bakery. This is just our cover. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth. Justice. Right. 
Hey, man. Read this. I told you, I don't like horror comics. Think of it more as a survival manual. There's a number on now, if you really watch this scene and you look, you see we had talked a little while ago about Corey Feldman being told by Joel Schumacher to look more like those, uh, you know, the, the 80s action stars. He's got the red bandana like Rambo on. He look and you, you, you just heard him do like the little one liner before. He does look like it. 40 seconds left. I had to break it. I didn't want to forget that. On the back and pray you never need to call us. I'll pray I never need to call you. Sure. All right, so there we go right there, that little clip. Um, but, yeah, he really did look like like a fucking 80s action star. Uh, thank God he didn't try to be that. Um, so there we go. Now, play a little more. Let me make sure this isn't the same clip we just played. Hold on a second here. All right, now this is another clip where um, this is after they had done all that and drank the blood and everything. And basically this is where they tried to tell him that, tell Michael that he's one of us as we're going through the movie here. This is kind of one of the, uh, earlier in the movie, we're still sort of going through, but I've only got a few more clips to play and we'll be done here. But uh, here we go. One more clip where they tell him, you're one of us, buddy. We should let Michael know what's going on. Yeah. Michael. Good night, Michael. Bombs away! <laughs> Bottoms up, man. <laughs> Woo! Come with us, Michael. Come on down! <laughs> All right, so this is the bridge scene that I just mentioned uh, that's on the trestles um, off of, in L.A. So here you go. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Michael! <laughs> Yeah, Michael! 
So there's really not many more, much more dialogue here. He hears them down there. Now he thinks he's... Oh, I still got it playing, sorry. Now he thinks he's going to die. And, but he hears them down there like they fell. Why, why can't I? But eventually he does fall. And he falls right back into his bed. And uh, this is where his kind of his uh, his brother was like, what the fuck, dude? But he is figuring out something's wrong with him. Most definitely. Um, so there you go. And this is where, once again, the the Frog Brothers are going to come up and kind of tell. Or this is where he goes after the dog, Nanook. And this is where Corey Haim finds out his brother is a creature of the night. So here we go. You asshole? Nothing. I didn't hurt him. He bit me. This is my blood. Why'd he bite you, Mike? Huh? What would you do to him? He was protecting. Reflection in the mirror. Your creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you eat till mom I didn't know shit sucking. I, I didn't know vampires suck shit. That 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 that's a new one on me. Well, at some point in this movie, they, the Frog Brothers tell him, look, what you got to do is you got to find the head vampire and, that you know, it, it, make sure you don't invite him in. And they, they think they found the head vampire, that being uh, the guy who plays Max, Edward, Edward Herman. Um, and they think they found him, and the Frog Brothers are trying to prove it, but they forgot they invited him into the house, so... Here we go. Tastes good. Mmm. Oh, wonderful. Mmm. Boy, somebody around here has bad breath. No, no. Would you quit breathing on me? No, no. Get upstairs. Go on. You want some Parmesan cheese on that? Uh, yeah, Sam. Thank you very much. Sam grated the cheese himself. Oh. My son. Another budding chef in the family. Are you all right? Mm. No, it's not cheese. It's, it's garlic. But you hate garlic, don't you? No, I like garlic. It's just a little much. It's raw garlic. Garlic? How did that happen? Guys, you like scrum. Oh, sorry. Here, quick, drink some water. Hey, Whoa! Sam, what's the matter with you? Does it burn? Burn? What are you, nuts? It's freezing. Oh, look at your suit, Max, and your... Oh, I'm so sorry. That's right. Gosh. Now what? Let's be circuit breaker, Mom. He's not glowing. I know. Hit the light. Ah! 
think I know what's going on around here tonight. You do? Yeah. I know what you're thinking, Sam, but you're wrong. Ma'am? Yeah. I'm not trying to replace your father or steal your mother away from you. I would just like to be your friend, that's all. All right. So, like I had said before, they did all this to try to figure out if he was a vampire. Now, when you invite a vampire into your house, all his powers are rendered useless. So, that's what happened here. All the little tricks didn't work because they invited him in. Um, he actually tricked her to inviting him in. He kind of said, aren't you going to invite me in? And she goes, oh, of course, come in. And uh, that's kind of how that happened right there. But, um, all right, so... Finally, we these guys all figure out what they are. They're all vampires, and they find the lair, and they go in there. And like I said, they were not ready for what they were about to come into. Um, but they end up, first one they kill is uh, Alex Winter. So he gets it, and they start dying, all the vampires. I guess I can play a little bit. Ah! 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 I thought they were supposed to be in coffins. That's what this cave is. It's one giant coffin. Right now, they're at the most vulnerable. Easy pickings. Remember, you just have to kill a leader, huh? We don't know which one the leader is. I guess we'll just have to kill them all. We'll start with the little one. First come, first staked. What was that? A little vampire humor? It wasn't funny. No, don't even. Good night, blood sucker. No! Now, I do want to bring up when the vampires do die. Because this is going to be important. When the vampires die, they all explode or in, in different ways. And actually, there's a little clip in the movie where Corey Feldman tells him they may explode, they may implode. You never know what's going to happen. Just remember that. All the vampires explode or something like that happens. So, there you go. <laughs> So the only thing saving them is uh, at that point right there, Chris uh, Kiefer Sutherland had a, uh, a hold on his leg, um, on uh, Corey Haim's leg. Now, he, he puts his hand out in the sun and it catches on fire. Now, there's a point there where he has out of his left eye, <coughs> one single tear drips out of his eye. Well, those contact lenses, those they had when they were vampires, 
were nearly unbearable. Um, the, they said that those were absolutely horrible. What they did is the makeup department on set didn't have very many luxuries. We talked about the budget cuts. So all they could get was glass contact lenses, which did not allow oxygen to get through. So that was a bad thing, causing a lot of pain in the eye. So the upside was this scene right here where he sheds that one single tear. Um, basically, he said his body was trying to deal with how dried out his eyes were and his eye watered. It wasn't a tear. There was no pain, but it came out at the perfect time for the perfect shot in the perfect scene. It was just one of those kind of it made everything really, really awesome. Um <clears throat> So it was just it like I said, it just made for a great little scene in the movie and uh was very, very, very it was just one of those clips you remember. So like I said, when they do when the vampires they can uh they meet a some sort of gross demise, um, whatever they do, they can die in all different ways. And uh, that was one thing that uh we did figure out in this movie right there. So Let's go back, and I've only got a couple more clips here. Uh, three more clips, actually. And uh, we'll go ahead and get to the end of the movie after that. So finally, they do break into the house, the vampires. They do come over, and you got the, the, the brothers are there doing everything they can. And um, here we go. So another gross death. We got blood coming out of all the out of all the sinks and drains and toilets and everything in the house. Uh, so there you go with that. And that was the uh, the long haired dude. There you go. And uh, now there's another point. One uh, obviously another great scene here where uh, we got Kiefer Sutherland talking to Michael. He's kind of messing with Michael, going after him in a few, in, in this scene throughout the house. We're at, we're right at the end of the movie here, folks, already. And then we'll uh, we'll be out of here in the next, uh, I'd say the next five, six minutes. So, all right. So here we go. This is where, once again, Kiefer Sutherland talking to him, telling him, look, uh, you're one of us, dude. You got my blood. You drank my blood. It's in your veins. So here we go. Tried to make you immortal. 
You tried to make me a killer! <laughs> you are a killer. <laughs> this, by the way, was the first time we saw Michael uh, in full vampire mode, too. Uh, so basically, we got two vampires going after each other right here. My turn. <laughs> Now, what you got to remember is the grandfather is a taxidermist, so there are antlers everywhere. Big spiked antlers. Just wanted to remind everyone that here. Me, Michael. I don't want to kill you. Join us. Never. It's too late. My blood is in your veins. So is mine. We see David die here, but no explosions, no implosions, no crazy, gruesome death. And there's a reason for that. Uh, once again, they were supposed to do these crazy kind of, um, or they were supposed to do sequels to this movie. And... After David is impaled by the antlers, he just kind of fades out and dies. So they're kind of saying that he may have survived the attack because he was meant to come back in The Lost Girls. I don't know what he was going to be in that movie. But um, that right there was going to be part of his character, which obviously they just let him die and he never came back for any of them. Um, but there was no wooden stake involved in impaling him, so that is what they were going to use if uh, he ended up coming back, which he did not. Now, there was even supposed to be another ending. Either way, we do know that um, the great ending with uh, Grandpa coming in and uh, crashing his Jeep through the house and impaling um, Max and then giving his little line uh, basically saying uh, the line I never uh, one thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach all the damn vampires the other ending was going to be in a uh, it was an additional scene it was going to be um, he Max was going to be wearing a straw hat had a smile on his face talking to a group of young boys and the group the, the scene had been moved to the after the um 
after the credits, but after a while, they just took the whole thing out and uh, never played it. Never, It really never saw the light of day, uh, as did the Lost Girls sequel, which I hope it never does at this point, because what's the point now? But uh, this is the last scene here. We find out who the, the, the head vampire being Max is, and uh, we're going to hear Grandpa crash through. Well, you passed the test. Don't ever invite a vampire into your house, you silly boy. It renders you powerless. Did you know that? Of course. Everyone knows that. Has everyone gone crazy here? What's the matter with all of you? It was you I was after all along, Lucy. What? I knew that if I could get Sam and Michael into the family, there's no way you could say no. Where's Michael? It was all going to be so perfect, Lucy. Just like one big, happy family. Your boys. And my boys. Great. The blood-sucking Brady Bunch. But I still want you, Lucy. I haven't changed my mind about that. I didn't invite you this time, Max. vampire dead everything goes basically back to normal um great movie though but uh like i said this movie was very very big it was it buffy the vampire slayer might not have even been around without this movie but uh excellent movie to uh to watch like i said 35 years came out july 31st 1987 really wanted to go over and do this movie anyway i had never really done it and um the one thing I forgot to do was I forgot to play the Kiefer Sutherland. Um, and he was talking about a deleted scene that was violent and gross in this uh, thing. So let's finish off playing that clip and then we'll uh, wrap up. Oh, got to switch over the audio. Give me one second here, folks. Because I accidentally shut it. Let me. was the precursor, was the prototype for Twilight mm-hmm. and for True Blood and just the whole vampire craze that sort of happened. 20, 30 years later. What was your favorite scene in it? Uh, there was a scene that, that actually didn't make the movie that, that I was really, really excited about, and mainly because it was just so violent, I couldn't believe that we were doing it. It's, it's sort of in the movie, they cut around it, but there was a guy on a beach, and he was bald. They had made a 
prosthetic cast of his head. The part of the scene that I loved the most was I literally, it was, it was like a cake. I ate the whole back of his head off and blood just went everywhere and I had been directed to just smile like a child having cake. The two images were so frightening and scary. And as an actor, that's what you want to manipulate moments. And so the contrast of that was something that at that age I found really exciting. So this did not make the film? I don't remember it, so I guess no, it's not. It, not no, it was, a bit, it was a bit too violent. No, no DVD, no director's cut? Not that I'm aware of. Oh, man, no. we got to find yeah, that and get that on yeah. YouTube. Was your look on that film inspired by Billy Idol at all? A little bit. Uh, it's actually a funny story. Joel Schumacher wanted me to have long hair, mm -hmm. and I had long hair at the time. And then he wanted it white timeless kind of thousand year old look. So I dyed it white and, and my hair was like normally long, like long everywhere. And I just looked like a wrestler. And I, <laughs> like Hulk Hogan? I, I hated it and I just thought, that's awful. <laughs> and Billy Idol had just come out. Uh, he would, he'd been with Generation X, I think, before that, but he, his first solo record had just come out and he looked cool. I mean, he just looked badass. And so I thought, well, He's got white hair, that, that could look really cool. But Joel wanted my hair long. And so I, I actually think I might have been responsible or at least partially responsible for creating the mullet and for that I'll apologize to the death. But, <laughs> so I went into the, they were shooting. I got there the second day of shooting and I went into the hair and makeup truck and I got her to cut the top short like Billy Idol's, but leave the back long so that it at least didn't screw the director over. He wasn't thrilled with it, mm -hmm. but later we've, I mean, I've done five films with Joel, so we've joked about it later. That's how that happened. It, it wasn't, no one person got their way. It's never just the idea and, and that's why someone looks that way. There's usually a lot of circumstances that go to creating a look like that. And that was just, you know, I, I think, that character looks really cool, but it, it was a complete accident that that all happened as well. And the soundtrack of yeah. that movie, that was kind of early on before was, every movie had a great soundtrack. It was one of the first ones. You know, I mean, we had Roger Daltrey singing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. I mean, Echo and the Bunnymen were on that mm -hmm. record. Uh, Jimmy Barnes had a great rock and roll track with uh, With In Excess on that record. I was really shocked when that happened because, you know, we were making the film and I didn't know Joel Schumacher was going to put together that soundtrack, and, and it hit. It had a couple big singles off of it. So I was really proud of that film in, in, for a number of reasons. Stylistically, it made a real imprint at the time, and it has stood the test of time, and that's a real tribute to Joel Schumacher. But the soundtrack, too, was really innovative, and it was trying to teach the film industry that music can help you not only make your film great, but it can help you sell it, and it can and it can work as a partner with you. Uh, and that was a really exciting time, and, and as you said, everybody picked up on it after that. Well, there you go. That kind of just said a lot of the stuff we, were, we had been talking about throughout the movie, um, except that whole scene. But uh, a lot of the things that we had mentioned were right there mentioned in that little, little clip there. Uh, pretty cool. Um, and, you know, if you look at the looks of all the other vampires, they do have long hair. Except him, and he's right, he did have probably one of the first mullets out there. Um, but yeah, that went with the whole Billy Idol thing and all the stuff we had been talking about, so that was perfect. Um, but anyway, I think that was the uh, best way to do that movie. I hope everyone liked the the, the format. I'm going to try to stick with this. Um, I'd like to do more uh, information than rather than just uh, play clips of the movie. I think 
digging through and finding out more information, deep information about the movie is a better way to go. And especially with this one, it's been 35 years. If you haven't watched Lost Boys by now, you probably don't want to watch it, um, <laughs> which is fine. <clears throat> but uh, I think what I'm going to do right now, though, is go ahead and uh, get on out of here. I'm going to go ahead and rock out of here. So uh, give me one second. Oh, man, my eye is suddenly itchy. Um, so there we go. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get that going. I'm going to turn this bad boy on right here. We're going to get out of here. Um, but uh, appreciate everybody joining me on Hollywood Hangout here once again. And uh, like I said, I'm probably not going to do these live uh, anymore. I'm just going to start releasing these uh, Sunday, maybe Monday mornings. And... Um, That'll make it easier. I can just kind of get these done as I do it. But uh, anyway, I do want you guys checking out the high marks. That is Jeez Man Mojo and G Wiz. You should already be subscribed. If you are not, go ahead and get there. You can find them right here, Mixler.com slash Metal Mitt Podcast Network. Definitely check them out. You can go on YouTube, too. That's Sunday nights, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, you got Bobby Anthem, Bobby Blades. Check out the Inhumans on the Inhuman Experience uh, go for it. Binge listen. You can listen to them on all usual podcast platforms. While you're there, check out Everything Unscripted a Podcast. That's right. Everything Unscripted Wrestling Podcast. Eric, Doug, and Daniel. Check that out also. Uh, they're also on Blog Talk Radio under EUP Network. And uh, speaking of reviewing movies, since we're doing it, Stephen Milan, letterboxed, boxd.com slash Stephen Milan, two L's in Milan. He is reviewing movies. And, uh, Go ahead and leave me a review. Um, uh, this show right here is on all the usual podcast platforms. Leave me a review on Apple. Let me know uh, if you guys like the new format. And uh, you can find the show on Facebook and everywhere. And me and Smart will be back again Wednesday night uh, right here, right after AEW, right around uh, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, we'll be right there for it. But uh, on that note, I appreciate everybody coming on by and joining me. I am David Richardson. I appreciate everyone joining me on this show of Hollywood Hangout for the Lost Boys. And uh, that is it. So, 